Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Good and Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osher, wrap up their discussion on Article 17 of the Augsburg Confession concerning Christ's return and final judgment, looking at a New Testament passage in Revelation chapter 20. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. Right. We're on our last episode, dealing with uh, Article 17 of the Augsburg Confession, uh, concerning Christ and the and judgment. And, and what we assume between the last episode and this mm-hmm. episode is that the three of us have ended the entire system of dispensationalism <laughs> by answering every possible question about Daniel 9 that ever existed. And right? convinced uh, right. all that held to it to in, tw- in 20 minutes. In 20 minutes. To our, our is, view, yes. You know, I, I have no way of knowing how many people will write in or object to the way we did it, but the way it was done is the best way we could have possibly done it. Yeah. For a 22-minute podcast, yeah, and, I, and I think that that's kind of the way it goes with our podcast. Is there's much more to talk about, much more to look at or refer to, and and hopefully, you know, we've heard people write in and say that it encourages them to keep digging more yep. um, and digging into it. And so, yeah, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. It, we on any topic we talk about, it's not supposed to be the end-all, be-all of the matter, the definitive resource of this. It's to present foundational truths for further study. Oh, mm-hmm. that's really good. I just came up with that. That Ooh. might be a tagline. Uh, foundational, <laughs> foundational truths for further study. Uh, but, you know, in, in Daniel 9, we are intentionally vague about things because we had to introduce the entire dispensational system. Uh, try <laughs> to took be, half the episode doing yeah, that. Try right. to be as fair as possible with that uh, without being precise and then respond how a person would generically interpret Daniel 9 contra to that understanding without doing a complete exegetical Bible study. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, just because we ran out of time and just to waste even more time on this episode, <laughs> uh, uh, the best Lutheran treatment of Daniel 9, 9, or 20 through 27, or really all of chapter Daniel 9, is in the Concordia Commentary Series Commentary on Daniel by Dr. Andrew Steinman. Uh, it is hands down the best resource that I've found. Uh, if you know, all the Concordia commentaries, for study. yeah, for yeah. further study, they're all fifty-five bucks. <laughs> it's not cheap, but if you uh, if you attend a Lutheran church, uh, there is currently a better chance than not that your pastor might have this volume. Hmm. And either doing a study with him or him giving you access would be a great way, a great head start to look into that. Can we shoot for trying to figure out the millennium? <laughs> we will. We will at least address the millennium as well as we did in the. We addressed Daniel nine in the last. At episode. least that well. At Maybe least we that well. To, That's what we're shooting for. We should try to build a Lego set of the Millennium Falcon instead. That might be just as helpful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's again what we're doing. We're not trying to ruffle any feathers. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get the broadest overview to whet your appetite to look into this. There, uh, far more people than not have been scared away from the end times yeah. because of the vitriol, right. which is done. Or just uh, uh, say the whole it'll all pan out in the end, kind of well, the, giving up the, and millennialism. The cop out, yeah, yeah, the cop out is is not a good way to handle it mm-hmm. either. Uh, this should excite you because yeah. again, Jesus wins and he's coming back. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So we're reading uh, Revelation 20, uh, verses 1 through 10, and uh, I'll go ahead and do that at this time, and we'll jump in. So reading in Jesus' name, 
Uh, Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized a dragon, that ancient serpent, who is a devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. And after that he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or, of, on their, or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. That's the passage. Right. See you guys next week. Things are just getting fun. Yeah, Doc, right. Dr. Goodham. Yeah. Oh, yes. Things are just getting yeah. fun. Don't go there. Yeah, so. Probably, Where do we start on this? Let's let's start by explaining the systems of interpretation that mm-hmm. are, are here with us. Right, uh, yeah, because this is a key passage that helps us sort out some of the, the key the systems. The differences. So yeah, three differences. systems of interpretation. We explained the first one last week in dispensational premillennialism, mm-hmm. which is a, an overemphasis and an obsession with the physical people and nation of Israel, the genetics of a certain people uh, in the geopolitics of a certain nation. We kind of got that out of the way. There is an interpretation. Uh, next, we have what is called historic premillennial uh, or premillennialism. Historic premillennialism is, is really just flows out of this that thinks that uh, there will be a literal 1,000-year period of which Christ reigns on earth after his return with the church. And then after the 1,000 years, the Battle of Armageddon, and then eternity. Sometimes that's called classic premillennialism. Classic or historical premillennialism, right? right? Uh, This goes really all the way back to the first century of the church. Um, That's why it's called, you know, classic or or historic. historic. Yeah, I... I just forgot the name of the first guy to espouse this position. One of the guys the, around the writing of the Didache, he was a disciple of a disciple of the Apostles John. Apostle John is, is it Polycarp? Not Polycarp. No, it was um, it starts with an A. Oh, for crying out loud. Someone will write me in and I'll be like, yeah, you're totally yeah, right. right. Um, uh, so historic premillennials, that's when we're talking about the millennium here in Revelation 20, it's a literal historic millennium, physical millennium on earth. Okay, the other position, uh, which is in fact 
factually stating the historic Lutheran position is what we would call amillennialism. And now the people that aren't amillennial will will kind of mock us and say that we're, we're not taking the millennial seriously. The, the hipster amillennial term for it is the realized millennial. So say, uh, it's, it's almost a misnomer to yeah. say, ah, uh, you know, as if there's no yeah. millennium. And an amillennialist does not say there is no millennium, mm-hmm. but it's the church age, the, the time between Christ's first advent and his death, resurrection, and ascension, and his second coming is the millennium being described from a top-down cosmic view. Uh, that's what the historic Lutheran position is, that we're describing the life of the church. And that thousand years, uh, again, not uh, meaning not a millennium, but uh, the millennium, not literally a thousand years. It's symbolic. Going back to that symbolic uh, numerology, numerology is a bad word, but it, using numbers to describe a completeness or a fullness of time. And so the idea of of the millennium to the amillennial person would be that during this church age, from the you know the, the resurrection, Pentecost forward, right, to the time of Christ's second coming, is this full period of time in which... Uh, God is patient, waiting for souls to be saved. He's allowing his gospel to go forth. Uh, and, then, and then we get into some fun stuff here, I think, because it's, you know, you talk about the ruling and reigning of Christ. Okay, well, what is what is the millennium about? Well, this passage says he's ruling and reigning. And is he doing that now? And the reality is absolutely he is. And that, I, I would say that's one of the most interesting parts of this, this passage where we get to see uh, and ask the question, how does Christ rule and reign? Yeah. So we, we've got all that interpretation to go on. Uh, we talked a little bit about the, the significance of, of symbolic numbers, uh, which is not, as critics would say, that we're not taking the word seriously. It's just to be as consistent with the rest of Scripture as possible. Uh, one of the best ways to do biblical interpretation is when you don't understand something in a passage, to look how that language is used in the book and then in the scripture as a whole. So that being said, rough, rough, rough views <laughs> of um, of the yeah. systems. Uh, one last thing to say, especially because we're in the book of Revelation now, mm-hmm. that a historic premillennialist will see Revelation as somewhat of a chronology uh, describing events consecutively as they happen. Uh, one of the marks of an amillennial interpretation of uh, revelation is is something um, a term called recapitulation, mm-hmm. where that revelation at least three separate times describes the events of the end times uh, from different kind of camera angles. At least three, at and, least three. and you could, as some interpreters would say, even up, upwards of six and maybe seven, depending on how yeah. you would interpret the previous chapter to this. So you, we've got all that. Brett, why don't we just work through Revelation 20 and hit the high notes so that we can see the difference between a premillennial and an amillennial understanding of some of these big things. All right. Yes, maybe just look at the first three verses um, starting there. Um, yeah, it, anything in those those three verses that... So yeah, that, yeah, that first, first paragraph, mm-hmm. well, really the big idea here, and, and honestly, if we're ignoring a detail that you wanted talked about uh, 
and, and we're skipping over it to get to a bigger point. My first advice to you is buy a study Bible. <laughs> and, and if you look for a footnote on a verse you really want, it's not going to be there because all the other verses are footnoted. But we, again, we limit ourselves to 22 minutes or, or thereabouts. So we're trying to hit the high notes in this. The big idea of the first paragraph, I think we the big event mm-hmm. is the sealing of Satan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep, so the, yep. the premillennial understanding of the sealing of Satan would be that Christ returns... And Satan is bound by Christ's divine power as he rules on earth. That, that, do you think, is that a fair understanding of, of the premillennial? Uh, I, would say, I would say so, yeah. yeah I think, I mean, and that's the idea. And that's actually probably where your maybe dispensational premillennialists or your classical premillennialists would have the biggest issue with amillennialism is the reality that as we look at the world right now, we agree with Peter when Peter says that the devil is, you know, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That doesn't really feel or seem like a uh, a ceiling of Satan, if you will, into some sort of abyss where he's not able to have an influence. But the other side to that coin is when we look at Colossians, right? We look at Colossians chapter 2, where we see this picture of Christ on the cross, the language of defeat is used. And we have to understand, it says that he disarmed the authorities mm-hmm. and the spiritual forces and the powers. That, that word disarming there is a picture of, I mean, literally it's to strip one naked. And it was a picture of the Roman victory parades where the defeated king would be dragged at the back of the victory parade and, and paraded through the streets with a hook in his jaw, celebrating, and they're mocking him. The, the people who are victorious are mocking this, this king, and at the end, that, that king is destroyed. And that's actually the picture that Paul says is going on, but he puts it back at the cross. Mm-hmm. It's back at the cross that this, that this defeat of Satan is happening. And so while he's trying to deceive, the hook's in his jaw, he's naked, he's going to be killed in town square. You know, that's the picture of what's going on. And I've actually had conversations with a premillennialist on this passage, and they say their they said to me their major hesitation to accepting the amillennial point of view is the definitive ceiling mm-hmm. of Satan. And, and it, it, it is quite clear, mm-hmm. and, and we have to reconcile that definitive ceiling, uh, not C E I L I N G, but S E I L I N G, with. Like Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. Right. Um, and I, I think I've heard people <laughs> try to reconcile this of, you know, comparing it to like a dog being chained up, you know, where well, they're, they're bound, but yet they're still kind of, they can go up to a certain point, then they get to the end of the chain. And, and they can't do any damage yeah, unless you're, yeah. you, you, you trespass on another territory. So, <laughs> or even better, having a yeah. uh, hook in his jaw with a chain instead yeah, of, yeah. Ro- you know, leashed around the neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so now I can respond the amillennial response to those criticisms and then our understanding of that first is why do we get to decide in this paragraph what is literal and what is not? Because I don't know a single premillennialist that the, the, the cosmic Satan chain that the angel <laughs> is holding is an actual real chain. <laughs> it's, it's a description of, of, of something. I mean, pause as I stumble over my words. <laughs> what John is seeing is human pictures of a cosmic thing. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I've used this to explain. I always hesitate doing this publicly because it's really dorky. <laughs> but if you've ever watched Star Trek The Next Generation, <laughs> any of the episodes with Q, 
It's okay, everybody. He's yeah. a doctor. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Dr. Bones. Uh, 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 Q is this almost divine cosmic alien that the human residents of the Starship Enterprise cannot <laughs> comprehend unless he's in human form. <laughs> so this is a really bad explanation. It's really dorky. Uh, we, please, we are laughing at you. Please, yeah, you. please, please mock me. But, but. But my my pushback in in discussions and in, in friendly debates is why is the chain not literal but the seal is literal, and 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 I huh. I I need to I need to know that. Yeah. So the amillennial response to going back, you said Colossians. The the big one is there is actually a spot where Jesus himself talks about binding the strong man, binding Satan. In the Gospels, it's you know the parable yeah. of the strong man is that Satan is bound. I think an easier go-to passage from an amillennial perspective is to talk about how the very first time the gospel is described in all Scripture, the in, in the Proto-Evangelion in, in Genesis three fifteen, sure. is that uh, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Mm-hmm. That the power of Satan in the gospel at the cross is crushed. No, we, we still see the work of Satan, but we talked about it when we were talking about the resurrection. Right now, as it stands, Satan is a defeated foe. Mm-hmm. His head is crushed. His yeah. head is crushed. Yeah. He but has also, a mortal wound. But also, it would be silly to describe the bruised heel as something in the future. Yeah. When it's, you know, clearly a representation of what happened at the cross of Christ. Jesus is no longer taking body damage. Right. You know, that's, <laughs> but... but that's the response. And so that is a fair back and forth. Mm-hmm. But that's the first paragraph. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. You know, the, <laughs> it, it's good. You know, this is good to think through these things. And, you know, you need to study, look at script, comparing Scripture to Scripture, which I hope we're doing that a little bit, giving you a flavor for that. Uh, but, yeah, let's move into that second paragraph there, that uh, verses 4 through 6. Um, you know, here... Uh, you know, also a thousand years, that verse four, especially, and, you know, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Um, what's going on in, in this this portion? So I think here is where, I mean, it's, it's throughout the passage, the, the three big ideas that we need to clarify from an interpretive standpoint here are the thousand years mm-hmm. uh, and the reigning that goes in with the thousand years, and then interpret the deaths and the resurrections, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that, like, the first death, you know, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. first and seconds, yeah. So again, the amillennial understanding of the thousand years is that it's the church age. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Again, consistency with scripture being the issue. We talked about the cattle on a thousand hills. We talked about the multiple times angels and the hosts of heavens are referred to in thousands, mm-hmm. but we don't really think we're trying to get a census of the holy army yeah. when that <laughs> talks about. Yeah. Uh, but the the one passage that I know Amelanius has consistently used to defend their symbolic understanding of the thousand years is with God, a day is, is yeah. if a thousand yeah. years and a thousand years as a day. Right. Uh, God operates in human history outside of time, mm-hmm. you know, and he transcends that. So we would understand that, you know, what we interpret as a long time in the church age, we're 2,000 years and counting mm-hmm. at the church age, or almost 2,000 years if you're going by the mid-30s kind of a thing. Uh, that's nothing to God. I mean, the, uh, one of the things I point out when I'm talking about this is I also go back to creation mm-hmm. and that God created the whole universe in six days 
and, and, and rested on the seventh day. And, and what's amazing about that is that during the time of the Reformation, John Calvin took offense to that. Not because he was a theistic evolution, <laughs> but because it took God so long. Right. <laughs> like he yeah. really wrestled with why did he take six days? Yeah, God could have. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's amazing like that. Yeah. So the homily says, let's not be preoccupied with the length of time, but let's look at it as, as a complete divinely intended unit of time mm -hmm. in which the church is given free reign in creation to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And really... Where what what Amalus would do is we would import the theology of the two kingdoms or the two realms into this is that the church reigns or God reigns in the church by the gospel. Mm -hmm. God reigns in society by the law. And what we're seeing here is the advent advance of the gospel. And there are more Christians on the planet now than there were 2000 years ago. The gospel is going forward. Right. Uh, the other thing in this in this next section here that we've got to focus on is who who is being spoken of here, and it's talking about in verse four the souls of those who'd been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, for those who'd not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, referring it, to things happening earlier in Revelation, right? It's referring mm -hmm. back to to statements. Now, the the question of Revelation as a whole is a, an interpretive question: is who are these people? And I would. I would argue that uh, as we look at the history of the world, um, the saints who have been killed, we talked about saints, uh, you know, recently in, in uh, All Saints Day, and, and that it's not just those really stellar Christians who did some really awesome things, but it's all of Christians, right? And that picture of us living in that world, not bowing down to Satan's uh, governance, uh, so to speak, or what he thinks is governance, right? We're not bowing to his will or way. When we die, I think I think that's speaking to more than just strict martyrs. I think it's speaking to uh, the the body of Christians as a whole who have who have died. So, to be fair, I didn't cover the premillennial interpretation of this, but the premillennialists would uh, talk about a historic millennium. They would talk about uh, what what you're getting into is really the second big issue, is what do we do with the multiple deaths and what do we do with the multiple yeah. resurrections? Yeah. So uh, the premillennialist understanding is that the two deaths and the two resurrections are both physical historical events, mm -hmm. is that the dead are raised and then they reign with Christ physically on earth. The amillennial understanding of the two deaths and the two resurrections, the first death is physical death. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. <laughs> the second, no, yeah. the first death is, oh my goodness, I back it up. There's a two deaths, there's a physical death and a spiritual death, and there's a uh, physical or a spiritual resurrection and a physical resurrection. Okay, now I'm sorting mm -hmm. it up. I need to see this on paper and I don't have it on paper in front of me. Mm -hmm. So we all die physically. Mm-hmm. But the second death is a spiritual eternal death. Correct. That's judgment in hell. Like my old internship pastor used to say, if you die before you die, then when you die, you won't die. Bada bing. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, many words so fast here. Yeah. You're going to slow down. <laughs> so confused. So, so the, the, the first yeah. death is the physical death. The second death is the eternal death of judgment. Okay. Right. The, and the resurrection is inverted. The first resurrection is baptism that we have died with Christ and we are raised with him in baptism, the second resurrection is the physical resurrection then of the dead that we were talking about two episodes ago. So that's the all-millennial understanding. And, and really is this, are these historic events uh, in, in a chronology or are these 
historic events that communicate spiritual truths. And, and, and that's the difference um, that delineates it. Uh, I, I find it interesting here, and I know, I mean, we're, we're kind of... Already. Yeah. We got one more paragraph to go, and we, we're already at time. We got some time issues here, but the uh, the picture of that, that first resurrection, one of the lines there that says they came to life and reigned, uh, really it's they lived. It's actually, to, sorry for anybody who's this going to annoy people, yeah, and I'll Greek. apologize later about the Greek. In it's the original aorist. Greek. Yeah, it's, there we are. We should have, yeah, we should have a... Uh, a tone of saying that every time. But no, it's they lived, right? So it's not something that they came to life again, but it's that they, they lived. So even before they were dead, they lived. And that's what you're talking about. The first resurrection is actually a spiritual resurrection had baptism yep. that never ends. It does not for the believer. You can get his head chopped off, but he's not dying, really. You know, his, you know, his spiritually speaking, his, his soul goes to be with the Lord. And, and that's the interesting part here. So the, the ones who share in that first resurrection are the ones uh, who are, are living and ruling and reigning. And over them, death has no power. Um, and then there's this other class of people talking about Christ returning for judgment. And the, the reality is there's another class and group here yep. in which that uh, doesn't apply, sadly. All right, as quickly as we possibly yeah, can, right. the it's final paragraph uh, talks about the rebound of the forces of evil, the forces of Satan, Gog and Magog, uh, the last rebellion, which we would understand as Armageddon before the final judgment. Uh, again, this in the premillennial system is a, a chronology so that you have the first advent of Christ, you have the age of the church, you have the coming of Christ, you have the thousand year reign, and then you have the final battle, Armageddon, and then you have final judgment. That's, that's more or less the premillennial system, as, as smoothly as I can say. Uh, these verses, 7 through 10, are actually why I personally cannot line up with the premillennial system. Because the problem I have looking at Scripture, looking at the whole of Scripture, is if Christ is physically has physically returned and is physically ruling on the earth, why is there evil? That, that I, that's the one, I mean, the, the other thing I can't get past is if there is an actual chronology of things that has to happen before Christ returns, then Christ can't return at any time. That, that, that's my big eschatological understanding. But the, the understanding the existence of evil when the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is physically present ruling on the earth. That, that does not, in my mind, jibe with the rest of Scripture and what I know about the second coming from passages like Matthew 25 and a lot of passages in the New Testament. First Thessalonians First Thessalonians, 2 and 4, yeah, and 4 and, especially. Um, and the, the passage from Daniel 7 about the Ancient of Days. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. And in his first advent, he did not divinely make use of his divinity because he was fully human dying in our place. He was still fully divine, but he chose not to be divine in the way that he is now risen and ascended and glorified that I have no indication when he returns he is going to suspend that divinity so that he can rule in our presence with evil. Right. And, and I just can't get around that. That, that. What keeps me from entertaining the, the chance that I would be a historic premillennialist is this idea that evil would exist after the second coming of Christ. 
And so that's the the hang-up for most premillennialists is probably in the first three verses of Revelation 20. My hang-up is in verses 7 through 10. I don't understand. My understanding of verses 7 through 10 is that that's an artistically uh, spirit-guided and ordained way of describing Judgment Day. And I think I think it's important to remember too. Things can get worse. There are going to be end times to the end times. I mean, I'm believing from the time of Jesus's ascension, we're in the end times. But there could be end times to the end times. Things Paul talks about that with, with Timothy. But you know, things things are going to get ugly. Things are going to get bad. Things are going to end. Christ is going to come again. And I think we need to remember. I think we need to remember that too, because we we view this. I think we view these passages. Or excuse me, the last paragraph, if you will. Um, as something that's that's unique, special, uh, clear cookie cutter set of amount of time, that's what's going to happen. No, things we, we live in an ugly world. We're going to see sin increase. We're going to see Christ return and bring judgment. I think that's what Article Seventeen said. Isn't yeah. something like yeah. that? Yeah, I, yeah right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I think I, I think I actually had a professor once tell me that aside from redemption, the thing. Christ talked about most was persecution for the believers. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. no real reason to believe things are going to get better. Yeah. Right. We will be attacked. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. And I want to I want to end this. Uh, I don't know about end because Jason always seems as you're a doctor, so you get the last word. But <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the uh, the reality is is I've you know I've had professors who were classic premillennialists and I respect them a lot. Um, and their position, you know, they're, they're fierce in their commitment to Scripture. Uh, met with Walter Kaiser, who would, I would view very, very differently in these things than, than he would. But uh, he was making fun of my amillennial position. And he said, you know... In the, class or where was we were? This is a yeah. seminar we had oh. actually at a church um, when I was pastor in central Minnesota. We, uh, one, of the, one of our churches, AFLC churches, actually invited mm-hmm. him to come speak. And Horrible weather. There was a few of us there, so we got talking about amillennialism. And he he looks at me and he says, "Listen, he goes if you're he goes when when we're all called up in the air, and you know Jesus is there and, and he's you know declaring himself to be you know ruler and king, and we're we're on our way to glory. We can't brag, but I'm going to lean over. I'm going I'm to wink at you. <laughs> and I and I said, can I do the same if I'm right? And he goes, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, and so. Well, and, and and the final thing we should remember here, and we've gone over time, and we yeah, we had that's to. That's okay. Every yeah. once in a while, it's nice. Yeah. Uh, in the end, the outcome is the same. Yeah. Christ yeah. returns, and yeah. we are ushered into eternity by His completed work of redemption mm-hmm. and the faith that the Holy Spirit has gra- granted us to grasp yeah. onto that. Yeah. Uh, no one at any point in time should be talking about these matters of eschatology as if they're primary issues of our salvation. Mm-hmm. There's, there's room for disagreement here. There's also room to say, my understanding of Scripture means I think this person is wrong. But at no point in time is this something that disqualifies someone. I, I, I do think you get into really dangerous territory with the dispensational movement yeah. and talking about other yeah. methods of salvation, right. or especially salvation apart from Christ. But in the end... Christ wins, he returns, and we are ushered to spend eternity with him, and that's awesome. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, please visit our website at flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.